0: This is the weekly Parsha Shior with Rabbi Chaim Bravender of Atir and WebYeshiva.org recorded live in Jerusalem at Beit Kineset Haram Visit www.WebYeshiva.org for live interactive online shiorim today. Okay, I'd like to talk about uh, I'd like to talk about women. I think it's a timely topic but that's not the reason. The reason is that It sort of comes up in the parasha. Sort of. And the question in the parasha is, where did the women come from? (laughs) I know that's not like my best shot here. But but where did these women come from? Because we know about the avot, But we don't know so much about women. And women became a real issue at the time of Yaakov know because he had a lot of children. He had a lot of male children. And he had to marry, marry them off to somebody. So the Pasuk says this. Remember, Yaakov demanded that he be buried in Eretz Yisrael in the Maratha HaMachtelah. V'yaisu b'nav lo k'asher tzivam Right? Emphasis? B'nav Then V'yisu so otol b'nav arz hakinan V'yikbiru otol b'ma'arat tzedeh ha-machvelah Asher kanav rahamat ha-sedeh l'achzat kevanet efron ha you see that the children, the sons, did as their father instructed them to do and they buried their father in the Marat, what's the Marat that's called Machvelah, which is in uh, a state of That's what the Pasuk says, a kind of straightforward and uninteresting Pasuk. The children did as their father commanded them to do. Rashi says... Rashi says, Rashi says, The Lord You see the Rashi? Only my sons should carry the beer, I think it's called, you know, the, uh, uh, the casket to Eretz Yisrael. Not my grandson. Lo Ish Lo So here's this terrible accusation against the sons of Yaakov that their children, their mothers, will be Binot Kina'an. Now this is a terrible accusation, not because it can't be. I mean, okay, they married Binot Kanaan, but maybe the Binot Kanaan that they married were devoted to uh, the path of Avram Avinu. But we know that Avram Avinu made a strong statement against Benot Kenan. We know that Yitzchak made a strong statement against Benot Kenan. So how come Yaakov was so lenient? But you see, he wasn't so lenient because he says, I don't want any of your sons, he's speaking to his sons, I don't want any of your sons taking care of me on my way to the Maratha HaMachtelah, right? Ela Atem, you. And then the Medrash goes on and says, we'll see the Medrash in a minute, but Rashi quotes through this part of the Medrash, the Medrash, not only did he distinguish the sons from the grandsons, Saying the sons will take my body to Eretz Canaan, and the grandsons will not take my body to Eretz Canaan. Not only that, but Kavala hemakom, Kavala hemakom means the antecedent of Lahem is the sons. He gave the sons a place. What sort of place? Shloshah baruchot. and he organized the way they would camp in the desert. Three on each side. Remember that when they camped in the desert, there were three tribes on each side. Three times four is twelve, and the B'nai Levi were in the middle. The B'nai Levi were in the middle, so uh, that's very good, you know, it's like, but what's the connection? What's the connection? Well, (laughs) he said, He said, the Kahn in other words carrying the Aron of Yaakov was like carrying the Aron Kodesh. and since when they carried the Aron Kodesh in the camp they, they had this idea of three tribes three tribes at each side so uh, Yaakov Avinu organized that in that way at this time when they were about to carry his body to Eretz Yisrael so now listen Levi lo yisah shuhu atid l'setet aron. The tribe of Levi did not carry the Aaron to Eretz Yisrael because the tribe of Levi was the designated ones who carried the Aaron kodesh. That's Levi. V'yosef lo yisah shuhu nelech. Obviously, wouldn't do for nelech to do be involved in physical labor, Right? Who knoweth? Menasheh and you take him. So instead of Levi and Yosef carrying the aron, they were replaced by Menasheh and Ephraim. What? So uh, we all we all agree that they're grandsons. But not them. Not the they were later they were like uh, like thousands and thousands of Jews. They weren't all grandsons. They may have been grandsons of grandsons. grandsons the are not his
1: grandsons, not his children's children. Correct.
0: These are the tribes. Right, they had the tribe. What? Just the sons. No, that's right. The sons came through it, but after the sons, they're not sons anymore. They're tr- they're part of the tribe. Except for right. Right? right? Right. So they became tribes. Right. Right. So, they were, so that you have you have from this <laughs> just from this Rashi, just from this Rashi, you see that. Yaakov, either, didn't want to be carried by his sons. Sons. His sons' sons were the children of no. Canaanite women. Canaanite women. So we see that uh, uh, even though later on, all the, they all became part of the tribe and they settled around, around the Aaron Kodesh. Yeah. Who was the mother of the national
1: tribe?
0: Also. also what? What? She's not a
1: Canaanite.
0: Is it better that she's Egyptian? Is it better? What is better? Egyptian. Yeah. Would you rather marry an Egyptian woman than a Canaanite woman? Well, I know today. I'm just joking. But of course, it's better. You understand. What was the difference between the wives of Yitzchak and Yaakov and now the wives of the sons of Yaakov. What's the difference? See, when you marry a woman from a foreign country and and the deal is that you're going to bring her with you to your home, which everybody understands is the deal, right? The woman goes to live with her husband. That's certainly in the ancient world that was true. So that's good. Why is it good? You go away from your roots, from your your, uh, influences that you had, from the people who were there. You go to a new world. So Avraham Avinu said to Eliezer, only from my family in Haran. And I want you to bring her. Yaakov messed up on this point. He married women in the house of Lavan, but he made a mistake. He didn't come back right away. But eventually he did come back. And when he came back, When he came back, eventually he was able to tell his wives, four of them, that they should get rid of the idolatry that they took with them. When was that? After Shimon and Levi defeated defeated Shen. After Shimon and Levi defeated Shen, so they took they took booty. You know, the the family. Some of the booty was Apparently, idolatry. But, but Gathor Avinu was then able to do what he was not able to do when they ran away from Lovun. And he told everybody to get rid of the idolatry. When they ran away from Lovun, they were still attached to Lovon. You see how strong the attachment was that Lovun came running after them? So that's strong. That's called sort of a strong attachment. <laughs> so he said so idolatry it, what was, was part of them. And they had to get out of it. And to get out of it they had to go to Earth Israel, they had to be in a new world, in a new system. Because in those days apparently, people believed that idolatry was geographically connected. Right? So if you were in a new place, it was made sense to worship the gods of that place. Whereas if you were no place, you worshipped all the gods. Who was no place and Worshipped all the gods? Who? Yitro. No. It's true that he worshipped all the gods, but it wasn't because he was no place. It was because he was interested. But who was no place? And in that no place, they worshipped all the gods. Yonah. Yonah? Hello? (laughs) Yonah. Where was Yonah? Hey, no, Yana was in the water. was in the water. Who is in charge of the water? Who knows? It's not a place where people live. So that's why all of the, the sailors pray to all of their gods in the water. Because the water is no place. There are two places that are recognized as no place. One is water. Right? What does the terrorist say about water? Tohu, the a lack of order. Water, there's no order in the water. And the other place is the Midbar, which according to the Nedrash, the, the Pikadrabalozo, was never finished. It's an unfinished place. The Midbar. That's why you can't live there. Or like, you know, today maybe you can, but in the olden times, you had to move from place to place. You really couldn't live in the desert. Couldn't live too well in the desert. It wasn't that... Uh, wasn't a good option four of Yaakov's wives were not Jewish what's the difference if they were choked or not (laughs) so in any event the problem of wives was a real problem was a real problem after all Avram Avinu didn't have a problem Abraham really didn't have a problem because Sarah became Sarah. Her name was changed from Sarai to Sarah, which means that she was a new person. Just like Abraham, his name was changed from Abram, which means that he was a new person. So, Abram and Sarai, we understand. Rivka, we also understand. What's the first thing that Rivka did after you know, we hear about Rivka? That she doesn't. Right, who did she into? to? She daven to Hashem. What do you mean she daven to Hashem? Why didn't she into uh Because she was into it. You know, she was there with the with Yitzvah. They were davening together. There was no other possibility. Yaakov, Yaakov had a problem. Yaakov had a problem. It, it, it didn't work out perfectly for Yaakov. Had it worked out perfectly, he would have married whoever he married, he would have come to Eretz Canaan, and that would have been the end of it. But we see that for Yaakov, the situation was different, and apparently Yaakov was unable to send his children to find, there were too many of them, to find wives in a very far away place, and then to come back. So now, which is better? Which is better, that your mother should be Egyptian, or your mother should be Canaanite? Well, if your mother's a Canaanite woman and you're in Egypt, but you're going back to Canaan, right? That's what you're going back to. So that means that when you go back to Canaan, you're going to meet all your relatives. And they, they'll have like little hafalas together and, uh, and they'll end up with blessings to the local idol. No good. But the sons of Yosef, whose mother also happens to be a non-Jewish woman from uh, from Egypt, but they're leaving Egypt. And and whatever difficulty a and Asher might have with leaving Egypt, they're not going to have the same kind of difficulty with being Jewish when they get to Eretz Canaan. They're going to understand that they have to worship the God of Canaan. Okay, so this explanation that I gave does not include the idea that Osnat bat Pharaoh, was really like Rochel Imeinu. If she was, so she was. So then the B'chad is no passion, right? Uh, but, uh, you know, Erohinam, he, he could say that the Medrash is struggling with this question. Like, you know, how did Yosef marry somebody who, who's, you know, got class but is not Jewish? Because we would not like our children to do that. So that's how we think about it. Moshe? Sipora, She was high class? Yeah, but a father understood something. He came, after all, to uh, Matan Torah. Because he understood that something was happening that was very significant. But uh, we have no indication that Potiphar, Potiphar or Snats that Potiphar or Potiphar, that, that uh, he had anything to do with any of this. He was a Kohen, whatever that means. You know that the, the, uh, the Egyptians were into um, dreams. They were into reading dreams and they are books of dreams that the Egyptians have left, left us. They say, if you dream about two cows and three horses, that so this is what it means. There are a lot of kind of dream outlines, which, you know, it's still going on today. You know, I mean, there's still people who think they can do that. So let's look at the Tanchuma. The Tanchuma is the second thing on the page. Um, the second line. Ma Talmud Lomar. Al diglo levet Avota Ela... This is a Tankhuma that Rashi is based on. So that's what Yagov wants. He wants to be buried with his forefathers. He wants to be buried in the place where they are buried. That's what he wants. Chazar uh, al kol ubercham upitgam. So then before he died, he, he blessed all of his sons and picked them. And he mentioned them. He said something about them. He said, oh, here's Yehuda. You're Yehuda. He, and he says, uh, When you take my body back to Eretz Yisrael, the operative words are Yira and Kavot. Yirah is a word that's associated with religiosity. It's not just being afraid of danger, but it means, like, in awe. Even though, you know, when you use synonyms in English, it's not so much better than using synonyms in Hebrew. Right, you know, who knows what these words mean. Oh, you'd have to stop and explain that. But awe, awe is a word that people use. Right, it's not like scared of something. It's overwhelmed by the idea of it. So that, <coughs> that's called the Chavot. Kavot is something that is tangible. Kavod means, if you have to give Kavot to your father, so it means you, you can't sit in his place. For example, that's called Kavot. So he says, uh, Titlu'otii, the ve Kavot. Vulo adam acher mitati. And no one else should touch my casket. Lo, not one of the Egyptians. Lo, not one of your sons.. Because some of you, some of you, have married Canaanite women. And so the sons are this kind of a mixture like a little Canaanite and a little little Jewish, little Yaakov Avinu.
1: What?
0: Maybe. I mean, you know, it's true that there might be such a distinction in a biblical text, but in a Chazal text, it's hard to make that distinction. I agree that it's there, but you don't have to make it the khayl omer yasub anav lota tasha tiva that's what tasha tiva means yasub o tam be nav atzeknan anav the lobenay banav yasub ab nav atzeknan so i mean you could ask in uh, what our our feelings of ethics why are that sons who married the Canaanite women better than the children who were born of the Canaanite women. You know, sounds bad in both cases. But, in those days, as you know, Yichas didn't play such a great role. In other words, Yishmael was not saved because he was Avraham son. He was driven away because he was a bad fellow. Something changes here in Yaakov. Even though Yaakov distinguishes... Yaakov distinguishes the good guys from the bad guys. The good guys didn't marry Canaanite women. I don't know who they married. And the good guys, the bad guys, married Canaanite women. Nevertheless... Never, never, nevertheless, uh, they're not so bad. And was everything else they did was okay. It was only the that the children became, and they also became okay after a while. They just weren't okay for Yaakov. So you see,
1: they were also brought up in and some of them,
0: some of them may have be been brought them. up in Canaan. Yeah, you
1: know,
0: the older ones. Yeah, man. I mean, look, since we don't have the movie, it's hard to know exactly what we're talking about. But we can, you know, we'll say something. <coughs> he says, then he goes on and says, "Hey, ha-Tzivam ha-Malahem, <laughs> Yehuda yisachar zvulun yitanu mitati min ha-Mizrach, hu-vein min ha-Darom, ifrayim ha-Nasheh bin Yamin, min ha v'dan v'asheh naftali min ha Yosef Al Yit on Shumelah, Rashi quotes this. Batem Surhimla Khloklo Kabodvalevi Alyit On Rama Shahuto Ein at Aaron Shay Shuhuto Ain et Aron chai haolamim. E no To Ein Aron no shall mate. Imat <nivelli> sitem came the taantarid mitati shay sha shi siviti et chem so you could say you could say this that if the sons of Yaakov will agree to accept the sibui from Yaakov, that they will carry the aron and not their children, and that they will carry the aron in the way that Yaakov suggests, that they become, in the language of Chazal uh, of and, and, and the Kabbalah, they become the Merkava. They become the Merkava, which itself is a purifying act, so that you change them, From the sons who married Canaanite women to the Merkava, that is, carrying Yaakov back to Eretz Yisrael, which is kind of an an act of atonement, which is an act of atonement. So now what happened? What happened to these children who are the children of Canaanite women? And who were not educated in the way that Abraham and Yitzchak wanted their, their grandchildren to be educated. So what happened to them? So I would uh, venture another pasuk. Another pasuk. We don't have a, a lot of pasukim here, but let's just start with this pasuk. Perikav Dalit, Pasuk Aleph. You see under the right under the Medrash. Avraham Zakein, Baba Yamin. Rashem Beyrachet Abraham Machol. You remember that Pasuk? It's the Pasuk that is the introduction to the story of Eliezer going to find a wife for Yitzhak. So Beyrachet Abraham Machol, Rashi says, Bechol olad Gimatria Ben that if you do the Gibachi of bakol, kaf is 20 and Lamid is 30. 30, 20, 30 20, and ben? No. And what is ben? 52. 52. 52. 52. Oh, gosh. Oh, it works out. You know, if it didn't work out, we'd be stuck. I'd have to leave. <laughs> but Rashi says, Rashi says, bakol equals ben o'machasha. I have ben. So you see, R- Rashi is is uh, interesting, but that was Balabatish. It's saying, what is this passage? This is the introductory also to the search for a bride for Yitzchak. How so? Because it says in the Patsuk, Hashem berechet Abraham with a son. And now they have to figure out what to do with him. What's he going to do with the son? How is he going to make grandchildren out of a son who can't marry anybody in Canaan. And then the story begins. Okay? So now if you look at the Ramban, it's a very famous Ramban. Some uh, uh, Some things are famous because everybody knows what they say, and some things are famous because nobody knows what they say. Exactly. This Ramban is in the latter category nevertheless, nevertheless, we're going to look at the Ramban. Because the Ramban gives us insight into this problem that we're talking about. So the Ramban says, "Raboteinu baze inyan nifla. Like the Ramban doesn't want you to stop reading. So he says, inyan nifla. So who can, who can avoid going on? So we go on and there's a the Gemara in Baba Batra Meir said the great blessing of Avram Avinu was that he didn't have a daughter. Why? What's the great blessing of not having a
1: daughter?
0: He didn't have to find her husband. Find her husband doesn't mean that it would be difficult. Because he had a lot of money. It's easy to find a, a husband. But... How could he find a husband that had the same ideals as he had? How could he ever find a husband who was like Avram Avinu? Because, you know, the men tend to be independent. They go their own way. So Rabbi Meir says that there was a tremendous bracha that Avram Avinu received, and that tremendous bracha was that he didn't have a daughter. And we never heard, heard of a daughter that Avram Avinu had. The second opinion in the Gemara is Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda says, "Bataytalo," that in, in in terms of possible, uh, uh, in terms of the, the, the possibilities of experience, so that includes a daughter. So even though it would have been difficult for Adma Vina to marry her off, but Rabbi Yehuda said he had a daughter. He definitely had a daughter, and he had that experience, and he had to teach his daughter. And so this becomes like, you know, Rabbi Meir, I understand. Rabbi Yehuda, I don't exactly understand, because after all, it's true, it says bakol. Bakol means everything. Everything should mean a daughter. Why not? But then there's a third opinion. Now, this is very unlikely, usually in the Mishnah. There are two opinions. One says kosher, and one says truth. There's no like in between opinion. But in this case there's a third opinion. The third opinion is <laughs> What do you think of that? In other words, opinion number three goes along with opinion number two. Opinion number two is that like, Bhagavad had a daughter. Opinion number three is that her name was Bakulat. That the itself indicates there was a daughter. Instead of backhoe? I don't know. You got me? Yeah. Whatever you decide, I will agree with the like uh it's not an just uh, Ah, oh it's grammar. Particular. You're talking you're talking about grammar? Yeah. Oh okay. Okay, so her name was Cole. That's also fine.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: it would be like if uh Semir had with Cole, With coal. Whose Cole His daughter. Or Avra Bere or by Rachadabal. Meaning, where well, everything that you could possibly get is a brother so one of the things is a daughter right that's the distinction okay you're happy I'm happy it means her name was either Bakol as I said or Kol as you said <laughs> but was definitely a daughter it was the third opinion and second opinion uh, agree that there was a daughter in the household. Right? According to the second opinion, we don't know what her name is. And according to the third opinion, we do know what her name is. Because according to the third opinion, to say that a daughter, having a daughter in the house, that's buck hole, that's a little odd. That itself is odd. I mean, I'm not trying to belittle the value of the daughter. I would not be able to do that either way. (laughs) So, you see my daughters sitting here, right? Would not be a cool move, as they say. So, okay. So, what's the big deal? What's this conversation about? Did have a daughter, didn't have a daughter. Le Mazemishaneh. If he had a daughter, he had a daughter. So she's like one of the many personalities in the Torah that don't really speak up. Don't affect anything. And he didn't have a daughter. They so didn't have a daughter because he had another child that was his child. So up to here is the Gemara. Then you have the Ramban. The Ramban says this. Uh, the Rabbi Meir, that's the first. he's explaining the, the the Gemara is explaining the first opinion. Shaloi. italo Abraham didn't have a daughter. He explains why does Rabbi Meir think it's a bracha not to have a daughter. Because he would have to marry her off to the Canaanites, and according to the minhag of those days, the wife went with the husband. <laughs> so the wife goes with the husband. It's like he's sending her off to Shema. So he raised her to be a Jewish woman, and she'll end up as being a non-Jewish woman. <laughs> right. If, if he uh, sends her away, so she'll worship Abu Zarah. Ki Yaisha B'Rishut Allah. Ki Yaisha B'Rishut Allah. this is an idea. This is an idea. I'm not sure that it's 100% accurate today, but it's more or less accurate. That You know, after all, there are a lot of decisions. Families have to make decisions. And very often, uh, oh, I'll say that, no, I don't know. I don't know. I like, you know, you have an impression. You know, have an impression. The impression is... All the men that I have uh, studied with, like all my rebellion, seemed to me in the sheer, when there were only men, to be very significant. But I realized I don't exactly how they played itself out at home. You know, like maybe it was different. But, said, you know, my impression was that, you know, since, since uh, uh, the issue was always halachic, so when the person who knew the halacha was the person sitting in front of the room. So he, he had the definitive answer to all questions, So you know, it had to go his way. Today, I think it's a little different, you know, well, for good and for bad. Like, you know, good is bad. You know, things change. And you could spy the good, but you could also sometimes see what's okay. not so good.
1: What? It's one of those all the time.
0: It's not a pasuk, but it, it says right. in the Gemara, she yes. isha v'ashut pa'Allah. <laughs> Allah. shut I mean, if if it's economics, then it's understandable because the the women in the ancient world, ancient world, by the way, goes up to the 19th century. <laughs> Not so ancient the age women in the ancient world had uh, were not economically well positioned. And so that uh Balhameah is Balhadeya, as they say. So and from that point of view, it's true. On the other hand, there are a lot of stories about women who had influence, who were clever and who were able to manipulate things, you know, so I don't know what the statistics are, but that's what the Rabban says. Um, right in other words, he didn't want the opposite. He wanted to bring a wife home for Yitzchak. He didn't want his children to somehow marry out and marry out, meaning that uh, uh, that if he had a daughter, she would have to go with her husband wherever that was, wherever it was, it was bad. Rabbi Yehuda darash kibatay talo dafilu da brata lochasrei rahmana that God did not deny him even a daughter. Vehi habracha Kihayalo ki haya lo kol anashim davar. So, in other words, according to Rabbi Meir, the, the focus is on the daughter. What would happen to her if she was living in the house of Abra Avinu? Whereas according to Rabbi Yehuda the focus is on is on Abraham. Did he have everything you could have? So the idea of having a son and a daughter, even though there was no there was no mitzvah period of review, there was an obligation, a general obligation that God placed upon other Marishal and then on Noah And then in the Barachah to Avraham Avinu to have children but there was no specific obligation as the Halacha says to have a a male child and a female child but that did not exist. Nevertheless, nevertheless, uh, since we know that the Avot were Mekayim all the mitzvot in the Torah that's what Chazal said. And that means perhaps like in our language that they intuited what God wanted. Their closeness to God was such that their intuition was well-developed in that area. So if God wants us, if God wants us to have male and female progeny, then they knew that. And so when Yavram Avinu had a daughter, he was very happy, even though the implications of having the daughter were, were very difficult. Suppose the Chazal say that every son came along with a daughter. They're just not mentioned. You know, I, I mean, I can't argue with what you say. I just, I mean, it could be that the and Yaakov were not like Avram. Avram was somehow more deserving of having Bakol. According to that Chazal, they're according. they were from everybody. Everybody had daughters.
1: No, but I'm saying, I'm from...
0: Maybe Keturah, who was Hagar, according to some interpretations. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it makes any difference. Anyway, let's get back to to what this might mean. Right? And this is interpreted at length by the Ramban in a kind of Kabbalistic essay. Right? And um, which we are not going to try to tackle right now. But what we are going to do is try to summarize what the Ramban said about Hashem Abraham Bakol. He says, first of all, he says that the Yachirim Omrim. That he had a daughter. Achirim um, are in the specific quote. Rabbi Yehuda Ami Abata Italo Achirim are in Abata Italo like kol shema. That bakol, bakol is a word that's used to describe the last sferot of the ten spherot, chesed, which is a way of saying that godliness devolved into the world. So according to the Arizals, and of course according to the Ramban, I mean it was before the Arizals, but they were thinking in the same way. They were thinking in the same way, like if you'd ask the question, like, why were we made the way we were made? Why is that that there are men and women? Why were we made that way? So if you say, well, I mean, that's how you get progeny. There are men and there are women. So you say, no, oh, why can't you be paramecium? You know about paramecium? You no? Know? So you went to high school once? So, paramecium are alive and well in high school biology. <laughs> so, what about paramecium? If one paramecium wants there it, to be two paramecians, parameci, he zaps himself against the wall, and then there are two of them. Now, this is an interesting idea. Why didn't the Kodesh will make the world a world of paramecium? Or amoebae, amoeba, amoeba, one of those. The amoeba also, they, they want someone to talk to, they split. And then they can talk to themselves. You know, it's, everybody have to go look for somebody to talk to. I mean, you have it right there, but it was a decision of a Kodesh Baruch to create a certain kind of affinity between men and women, and to use that affinity, to use that affinity to create procreation. That pro, pro, now it's, not, it's true, it's true. Not only for men and women that this affinity works for procreation; it works also for it works also for animals. But from the beginning of creation, the very beginning of creation, an irresistible theme: Adam and Chava. Uh, Avram, Yitzchak Yitzchot, Viritqa, is conversation. They decide on things. The Zub. Now this has to be seen as kind of an innovation. Um, Today, let's say you're the king of Saudi Arabia. Uh, You, what are you guys? The king of Saudi Arabia. So, how does it work? Well, it's like pretty simple. You have a lot of wives. You have a lot of wives. They have uh, good last names, I guess. They come from good families. You have a lot of wives. A lot of wives. They have a lot of children. And you have a lot of money. So, all the children get food and clothing and can run around in fancy cars and travel all over the world. But when the time comes for the guy in charge, the king, to find an inheritor of the mantle, so he looks at his sons and he sees which one is talented. Which one can do the job? And he picks them out and he says, you're it. He didn't make such a big investment in education, in, uh, in deciding how they would be. He taught them how to shoot an arrow... He taught them how to go falconing in the in the the wilderness, and he do all kinds of things. Which you know, some of the kids liked it, and some of them didn't. If he has daughters, so the daughters, are different he teaches them French and Latin and English and literature and philosophy, everything. The boys, never he wants bull ramming, and so he teaches them all that other stuff. You know, how to shoot arrows, how to Get missiles to run off of your computer. The things that are really very significant for leadership. But he doesn't have to invest himself in it. Avram Avinu invented this idea that children have parents. It's it's an interesting idea. Because I'm sure that in the world in which Avram Avinu lived, I'm sure of It's a joke. I'm sure that in the world that Avram Avinu lived, the other children didn't have parents. That is to say, they had biological mothers, they had biological fathers, but that was not the way it worked. There were a lot of them. And you had to choose. According to Avram Avinu, you had to choose your parents first. And that's why Avraham Rabinu insisted that the mother of his children would be Sarah, and that's why Yitzchak insisted that the mother of his children. We understand that Yitzchak had difficulty, Yitzchak and Rivka had difficulty conceiving, and to me, it's it's possible to say that that difficulty came because Rivka herself had to be fashioned, had to be made into. Right, and that's why Chazal say that when Rivka went into the tent of Surah, the Anan Hakabod also came to the tent of Sorah. In so other words, it was Surah again. Well what do you mean it was Sarah again? It means that the children that would be born of Yitzhak and Rivka would be like the children that were born of Abraham and Surah. That was the whole idea. In order to create a nation, in order to create a nation, you had to have everybody in. When was that nation created? When Yaakov Avinu blessed his children in the parish of Ayachit, Because there were no exceptions. Even though some of the children were given Musa, right? Yehuda and Shimon and Levi, Reuven, They were given Musa for what they had done previously. They were given Musa as children. They were included. That was the Kiddush of Yaakov Avinu. So Yaakov Avinu says to his sons, I want you to carry me through Eretz Kedon, but not your children, many of whom are the children of Canaanite women. That is not to say that they will not be incorporated ultimately into Cloud Yisrael. They will be incorporated. And when will they be incorporated? In the desert. When three tribes will be on each side of the Aaron Code. There's three tribes in a place. It's an order. O-R-D-E-R. It's order. (coughs) It's the way it should be even though right now they are not really worthy of carrying me to Eretz Israel, they ultimately will be worthy. And they will have a place around the Aron Kodesh, right, except for Yosef and Levi, who are replaced by Ephraim and Menashe. So you see that things changed, but they didn't change. First, the principle had to be established that the father and the mother had to be worthy. And that was true for Avram and Sarah, and for, uh, for Yitzhak and Rivka. But then another principle had to be determined. And that principle was that even if there was lack of worthiness someplace along the line, the nation of Israel, the family of Israel, would remain intact. And so that the sons of the sons would certainly become part of Am Yisrael. They would certainly be included. And you know, as I think I've mentioned, that when the Jews came back with Ezra and Ahem to Eretz Yisrael, they understood that they had had a problem because many Jews had intermarried, for whatever reason. And this goes on through the time of the Gemara. And the Gemara, the Morayim say, What? If Ezra and Nehemiah had a problem, right? That's 450 B.C.E. So we, who are living 300 C.E., right, 750 years later, maybe we're also not Jewish. Maybe we're also not Jewish. Maybe we also are the descendants of some woman who didn't convert to so marry a Jew, like you say today with the Russians, right? But maybe we're all Russians. From that point of view. So what did the Gemara do? It divides an interesting principle. Kevon Which means, if they disappeared, then they disappeared. I could have said the opposite. You could have said no one can marry anybody, which is one thing in the rhyme and the Gemara says, how could I ever find a, a, a woman for my son to marry? Maybe she's not Jewish. So the Gemara could have said, nothing. The end of the Jewish people, no one should marry anybody. No one should have any children. But the Gemara didn't say that. The Gemara said, meaning, we'll take our lead from Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu said, even though some of you married Canaanite women, and even though the children of the Canaanite women are not Jewish, not because they're not halakhically Jewish, but because they're not ideologically Jewish. Nevertheless, he says, when it comes time to set the tribes up around the Iron HaKodesh, every tribe will have a place. So that means that. That means that in order to promote the idea of Am Yisrael, of Kral Yisrael, there has to be a leniency. This is not a political statement. I'm not telling anybody what to do. I'm just saying that at that time, there was a problem of, of, of the shlemut, of the, of the wholeness of Am Yisrael. And Yaakov said, it'll work out. And then the Amoraim hundreds of years later said, it'll work out. It'll work out. And it's worked out. And uh, up to now, uh, we've, been able, we've been able to do that. So Hashem Berachat Avram Bakol, meaning that in the world, in the world, like, you know, Adonai Yisrael have always had two inclinations. One is to separate itself from the world, which has good things, it's, and the other is to integrate itself into the world, which also has good things. The, the, the thing is, you have to be optimistic about integration. You don't have to be optim- so optimistic about separation, but you have to be optimistic about it. About, uh, into, about being uh, integrated, because, because the integrative principle has a tremendous amount of good to it, but it also has danger. So, risk, good, the game, right? Risk. <laughs> so you have to be strong enough to overcome the risk. Yeah, the, like, that's part of the argument that is going on in Beit Shemesh, right? Between the people who say that the risk is worth taking because the profit is tremendous, and the people who say that the risk is not worth taking because most people don't have the stamina to live up to that, that level. Of risk-taking. So you see, you see, we're all in the same place. we someplace in between, you know, in our own personal lives. There are certain things, you know, like we live in Israel. Most people who live in Israel live in ghettos. I don't know if you've noticed that. But most people live in ghettos for good reason. For good reason, I want my children or my grandchildren to walk to God in the morning. Is that a terrible thing? In order for me to have my children or grandchildren walk to the Ghan, they have to live, like all the Gan people, have to live near each other. And that usually creates a ghetto. They usually create the ghetto. Another reason is ideological, because the kind of people who want to live in Yudavishomron on a hilltop are people who have a certain ideological commitment, so they create that kind of ghetto. Everybody lives in a ghetto. And the the, Chilonim, so to speak. They don't want to live with me. So they have to make their own ghetto, which has non-religious ganim for their children that I won't want to go to. And, and, and ideas change. I remember when we came to Eretz Israel, my wife and I, 1965, there was a building company called Mishal, which is a building company then of Apollo Mizrahi. And our Paul Mizrahi died, so they became the building company of Mizrahi. I mean, it doesn't matter. But they, they were also ideological. And they said they will not build a building in a neighborhood that is not mixed. Because they felt that uh, it was important for the religious people to have influence on, on the non religious You ever hear that kind of idea? You should live in a mixed community and influence. So that's what they did. Today, or 40 years later, they did not build a single apartment that was in a non-integrated neighborhood. Not a single one, because no one will buy them. You can't get the religious Jews to live in mixed neighborhoods anymore. Unless they happen to be very wealthy, so they live in wealthy neighborhoods. That's another subdivision. But, but in terms of, of regular uh, people... Regular people want to live with other regular people who are exactly the same as they are. Exactly the same. As you see the Haredim, you can tell a Haredim, right? Because he wears a certain kind of uniform. But but you also know that uh, if you take a lineup of guys who go to is there, you take ten guys from ten different Yeshivotas there, it would take about one minute to figure out which is there each one of them goes to be. They all have they all have uniforms. Everybody has a uniform. People want to have uniforms. I'm having a family crisis because my daughter wants me to have a uniform.
1: <laughs> I keep
0: telling her I'm not for uniforms. She doesn't stop. <laughs> okay.